Good afternoon, and welcome to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. Do you want to help make the world a better place but don't know where to start? Join us as we explore the possibilities on today's show with inspiring guests, uplifting music, and new ideas. So let's get started. Here are your hosts, Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead. Well, hello and welcome to Rise and Shine, not just for mornings anymore. I'm your host, Lorianne Rising. And and I'm the crashing guy behind the scenes here. Uh, I think I'll not do that again. This is Uncle Mark. <laughs> okay. Thanks. If you're valuing the show and want to continue hearing more, we would really appreciate your sharing the show with your family and friends. And of course, adding a review for us on whichever podcasting platform you're listening to. Absolutely. And we would love to uh, make sure that if, in case you didn't catch last week's show, we had an awesome program called Overcoming Scarcity and Dealing with Difficult Moves. And it was uh, great guests, Kieran Prasad and Renee Spears helped us kind of have a better understanding and some real awesome tools to use. So if you'd missed that, check it out. And today we have a very special guest with us, a journalist. I took a class from when we returned from Standing Rock during the DAPL protests in 2016. One of the things that stood out to me when we were at Standing Rock was over and over again, people who didn't know each other or didn't know that I had heard before would come up to me and share their stories of what it was like to be invisible. And I remember sitting with them and witnessing the pain and the anguish of a lifetime of being dismissed and discounted and ignored by an entire society. And I promised myself when I returned that I would continue learning and find a way to amplify those voices to the best of my ability. And so I'm really grateful that we're having this show and that we have this platform to do exactly that. Jacqueline Keeler. Our guest today is a, okay, let me get this right, Dine Ihankatuan, Dakota writer. Did I get that right? Pretty good. good. All right. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Um, She's living in Portland, Oregon. She's the editor-in-chief of Pollen, Pollen, excuse me, National Magazine, and has contributed to the nation, Salon.com, the Daily Beast. The Daily Beast, Courts, and many other publications. I'll get this right. Uh, she's been interviewed on PRI's The World, BBC, MSNBC, and Democracy Now!, and is the author of The Edge of Morning, Native Voices Speak and for, for excuse me, <laughs> Native Voices Speak for the Bears Ears. Oh, we made it through that. Thank you. Hey, and welcome, Jacqueline. Yeah, and I and I have a forthcoming book called Standoff, which actually compares the Bundy takeovers in Mount like Malheur to Standing Rock, which is oh, coming out in February. In February, in February. next year. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, given this past week and weekend's events, we wanted to find out first uh, if you have any comments or thoughts about how these protests and, and riots how are they impacting or are they um, native people and tribes? Yeah, we've been, um, so I've been uh, hosting a uh, three times a week, thrice weekly um, uh, podcast or on Facebook live streaming it from our, from Pollination Magazine's um, Facebook page. And, um, and so we've done about, God, we're going on, I think almost 30 episodes now. We've been doing it during the lockdown. Uh, since the end of March. And so we've had the opportunity to speak to so many different people in Indian country and how COVID-19 and coronavirus is impacting their their lives and their communities. And the past week or so, we've been interviewing a lot of folks about uh, what's happening in Minnesota and Minneapolis. And um, on Friday, we spoke to to Melissa Olson, who is a, she has a radio show there in Minneapolis, St. Paul with native community there. And she uh, was with Migazi uh, Communications, and their um, their building was just right across the street from Precinct Three, uh, the the um, police station that was set on fire, mm-hmm. and and their building did get catch on fire as well as also. So they had they were able to to rescue um, about almost 
over 45 years of interviews that they had done in the community uh, with many notable elders and leaders nationally uh, in, 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 in Native issues. And, um, and so they were happy about that. But she said they lost about 80% of all kinds of things. They had regalia that had been gifted them, oh. other sorts of um, historical um, things documenting the his sort of the um, the last 50 years of uh, of the native community there in Minneapolis St. Paul and Minneapolis St. Paul is the birthplace of AIM of the American Indian movement so and, and they actually started in 1968 uh, doing um, patrols uh, to protect the community from police violence and wow. so we really wanted to um, focus on that and those patrols have been resurrected now um, 52 years later so AIM is now conducting those patrols. And on Monday, we interviewed um, two, excuse me, two of the AIM leaders there. And uh, and uh, so we were able to, the executive director of the AIM, I think she's of the Grand, of the Grand Governing Council nationally, and, and also the, um, the executive, another executive, uh, Frank Para. And so we were able to interview them and, and talk about what's been going on there. Um, Frank told us how you know, he was one of the founders of AIM there, and he said back in the 60s, they would take Native people out, the police would take Native people out in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and take them to the river and beat them up. And if they were lucky, they would take them to jail where they would receive medical attention. And yes. he was like, have things, I asked them, you know, have things improved in 52 years? And he's like, well, you know, we, they thought they had a working relationship with the Minneapolis, um, with the police departments there, but now they feel like, you know, now they're they're, they're still shooting people. So it's, wow. it's hard to say whether things have changed and, and it has impacted. Um, for Mother's Day, we had um, we had on our show uh, Yazi the chef. He's a Navajo chef who lives in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And he and um, the staff of the, uh, the restaurant, there's a cafe restaurant that is in the Minneapolis Indian Center there. And, um, and they were cook using the kitchen to cook and deliver meals to elders in the community. And so uh, they've had to stop doing that. Uh, they actually had to board up to protect the building because the Minneapolis wow. Indian community is right there and it's right in the area that's being, because that's, that's a very impoverished area. They've spent decades trying to develop it. They have a, um, they have a, they have a um, HUD housing community there in that area, Earth, um, called Little Earth. And um, in 2014, I visited that. Um, I visited many of the different sites around Minneapolis, St. Paul, that where the Native people have been working to improve um, their situation for the last five decades. Uh, with uh, Clyde Bellacourt, the founder of the American Indian Movement, and um, you know, he took me to the Legal Aid Center there, which was one of the first institutions they started, and actually, uh, which serves the entire community, not just Native um, people. And actually, Keith Ellison, the present Attorney General of uh, Minnesota and the former former Congressman. Um, he used to be the executive director of that legal aid um, office. And so, um, so that he has a longstanding relationship um, with the native community there. So it's, um, it's a really, I, we've been sharing posts and things about from that community on pollination magazines, Facebook page. And um, I really do urge people to recognize the role that that community played in creating the modern um, you know, social justice movement and, and civil rights movement and, and sovereignty movement for native people in this country Sounds. and reclaiming our, our right to, to our identity. It's, Absolutely. it's a very important, um, the role that that community played in that is really, um, really quite important. I is, mean, it's, is um, this, is aim, uh, uh, just specifically around the St. Paul area or is, or is it something that's nationwide? Well, the American Indian movement, um, is very well known and it's, uh, it's, it's famous um, for being uh, the uh, sort of national uh, response of the Red Power Movement in Indian country, um, starting okay. in the late 60s and throughout the 70s. Okay. They were involved in the wounded knee um, oh, wow. and the oh, shootout that led to Leonard Peltier being in prison for oh, wow. over 40 years now. Um, so they have a um, sort of a mixed history. I mean, um, on one hand, while I was, you know, spent the day with Clyde Bellacourt and him and his brother are, were the ones who founded the American Indian Movement. And, um, and in our podcast on Monday, we played a, um, a historical, um, very short two and a half minute historical interview with him with the Minnesota Historical Society. And, uh, and it was actually, what? Which can be found where? Um, you can find it on our Facebook page, uh, okay. Pollination Magazine. 
Yeah. Okay. And um, pollen as in corn pollen, because we, and my mother's people are Diné or Navajo and they pray with the pollen. So that's okay. the idea. P-O-L-L-E-N. Yes. Yeah. Pollen. Right. And it's a little, you know, it's a play on the word pollination, yes. the pollination uh, of ideas. Oh, so they're yeah, just the, one end? No, okay. No, it's two. Two ends? Pollen. They're two separate words. Pollen, okay. pollen nation. nation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, but, but the, so the American movement is, is famous and very well known mm -hmm. and, um, and played a major role in changing our relationship to our identity. Um, you know, there was a lot of things going on um, in the, throughout the 20th century with uh, native people working together on a national level to, to fight for their rights. But I think that the American movement definitely changed the parameters of what we could ask for. You know, mm -hmm. by by really coming on, they're sort of like the Black Panthers. They came out very strong and out front, and um, and they basically made it possible for us to really begin making, um, really appreciating our culture publicly to a far greater extent. Um, and uh, okay. so, yeah. So we and is there a, a is there a uh, an active a part where people can actually participate with AIM or pollination? Yeah, the um, so uh, if there was somebody, what, what I'm trying to come from is a place of, of how can we support what's going on here? Yeah, so uh, well, Pollination Magazine is a, is a journalistic endeavor. Okay. Um, so we cover the um, things that are happening in any country, but we are not in partnership with the American New Movement or any other organization. Um, and so, uh, because that would be unethical, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but um, but that um, but we uh, but I really do urge folks to um, to there's many different things that are going on um definitely look at our our facebook page and and our website we're at pollination magazine um dot um com and uh and you can kind of keep up with what's going on and get a better sense of the larger historical arc that led to this point um and uh but yeah well, there are many uh we shared a um you know I, we've had um, folks from the navajo hopi uh covid relief um, fund. Um, they now have raised over four and a half million dollars mm. and uh, for COVID-19 relief on the Navajo and Hopi nations. And, um, and then we featured, of course, uh, the, um, uh, the Minneapolis-St. Paul community. And we featured on our web, on our Facebook page, a, um, a place you can donate to, uh, to help with um, getting food. Because uh, one of the things that came up is that, um, the elders who live in that community there in Minneapolis, St. Paul, they have lost access to their grocery stores. It's, it's, oh, they fought hard to try to reduce because it's, you know, it's an impoverished area. So it, it is a food desert, but the two main grocery stores there, one of which is Target, were looted uh, and are not um, functioning now at this point. Uh, you can see video of that online. And we, we edit our Facebook live podcasts and put them on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel as well. And so in that, in those edited versions, you get a lot of the imagery, what we're discussing and some background. And so that's might be helpful, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, we've covered everything. Um, you know, uh, we've covered the, uh, the checkpoint issue in South, in South Dakota with governor Nome trying to get the uh, Cheyenne river Sioux tribe to stop um, and, and the Ogallala Sioux tribes from uh, conducting uh, COVID-19 checkpoints. That is is that still an issue or is that, has, has she relaxed on that? No, it's still an issue. She's going to drive that to um, some sort of um, political um, um, sort mm -hmm. of prominence. She's right. trying to make her name nationally. So she's going to stick with that until she, she becomes a national figure. Basically that's her goal. She's trying to get yeah. Trump's attention and, and, and begin to sort of, position herself like a, um, a Sarah Palin type figure. So just for listeners who aren't familiar with that, my understanding is, and feel free to correct me, that initially she was okay with it and supported it and reversed her decision after hearing comments from Trump. Is that, am she I remembering is actually being, She is actually, so she's a right-wing Republican uh, governor of South Dakota. And South Dakota is pretty much a one party state at this point. It's completely Republican that because of, except for native people, they're the main democratic voting bloc in South Dakota. Right. Mm. And, um, and there, and so they, um, so, but yeah, she was, um, she actually had, you know, been fine with it. They had presented their um, plans and, and technically, you know, um, tribes don't have a state relationship. They only have a federal relationship. That's actually in the constitution that the federal government reserves the right to deal with tribes and foreign governments. Because tribes are sovereign nations, they actually have a status higher than states, a political status, because we treaty with the United States. And 
and those treaties were ratified by the Senate, and the Senate only ratifies treaties with um, with sovereign nations. And so, um, so states are always trying to put themselves, insert themselves, and to try to gain power over tribes. Because, um, and so this is a um, this is part of that ongoing battle um, between tribes and states. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but she is being actually uh, advised by Corin, Corey Lewandowski, the former head of Trump's campaign. And, and it's, uh, you know, the uh, reporters I spoke to in the state capital in South Dakota definitely felt that, sh- that she was following his advice in this and making this a big issue in order to sort of uh, galvanize her base and to, and to gain national prominence. Wow. And, it, you know, so it sounds like there's legal battles on top of all of the health issues, as well as, you know, losing with the casinos closed, you, losing the funding, and tribes were already challenged. So I mean, where does that leave the tribes then? Yeah, it's really, um, I mean, as, as it has with many issues in the country, as we see with the uh, with the um, the continued murder of um, of Black Americans, even while we are in um, in, in state under stay at home orders, uh, you know several Black people have still been murdered or um, faced racial profiling or threatened in some way. Uh, it's um, but uh, but yeah, but and the Nav- for Navajo people particularly, it's been very bad. I am a citizen of the Navajo Nation. It's the largest. Uh, tribe in the United States um, with over 360,000 um, enrolled members. And, um, and they have um, a land base the size of Ireland, of the Republic of Ireland. And so, um, so they, uh, but they have had a very large um, outbreak. Uh, and uh, from the numbers we have right now, they have been testing a lot, I should say, far more than the states have. Um, last time I calculated, they had tested 17% of their population it was a few weeks ago, or maybe a week and a half ago. Time has gone by so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, uh, but that only Iceland is the only country, uh, which is interesting because they have the same population as Iceland. So Iceland and the Navajo Nation have tested over seventeen percent of their population, which is by and far, by far the highest percentage per capita um, of any country on Earth. And so, so. It's sort of hard right now to compare numbers sometimes because the numbers are in such a state of flux, uh, and we're we're not sure how accurate they are, right? Uh, you know, I mean, a month ago, uh, the New York State had to add three thousand deaths to their total number, bringing it above ten thousand because the nursing homes weren't adequately reporting the COVID nineteen deaths, and some states are actively repressing them. I mean, the state of Florida. Will only count deaths that are that are deaths of residents. So if you're a visitor or a snowbird or a tourist and you die of COVID-19 in Florida, your death won't be included in the final count. And so, um, so they and also they they actually um, they actually pushed out a woman who was doing their online sort of data um, um, release because she was trying to be too accurate. They wanted her to lie and to hide some of the deaths. And so there's, I mean, Trump has definitely uh, made it very clear that he thinks good numbers are low numbers, however, how, however you obtain them, I mean, and, and so, uh, so he doesn't, he's more viewing this as a um, public relations issue rather than a mm-hmm. public health issue. And so mm-hmm. for the Navajo Nation, they recently, um, they have, um, they have reached over, um, let's see, uh, 5,479 positive cases. Uh, they have, uh, although nearly 2,000 have recovered on the Navajo Nation from COVID-19, but there have been about, I think, 248 deaths as of Monday. So it's, um, uh, it's you know, it's, it, but the Navajo Nation is also taking it far more seriously. And that's one of the things I really, um, really noticed is that there's a real difference between the um, public health approach of Native nations versus the red states that they are in. And, um, and it does, um, they do take it far more seriously and are enacting, well, the Navajo Nation has, um, actually has a 52 hour weekend curfew. They've had several of those now. Uh, everyone has to stay home uh, over the weekends. Um, there are actual fines, $1,000 fines or 30 days in jail if you are caught violating a curfew. Wow. So it's quite um, extreme. Uh, I know that there is a lot of, you know, um, many people feel like it's necessary. Others question, you know, it from a civil liberties aspect. 
And, um, but it's, uh, but, and, and there have been a lot of Navajos, about half of all Navajo citizens are, live off the reservation, they're expatriates, and they have been organizing extensively to bring um, supplies to the Navajo Nation. As I mentioned, the Navajo Hopi COVID Relief Fund, uh, we interviewed uh, Ethel Branch, the former Attorney General of the Navajo Nation. She's a Harvard Law grad. She's been organizing that out of Flagstaff, Arizona, and her husband is Hopi. So they have focused on really helping both Navajo and Hopi elders and families living in remote conditions. And, and they've been really successful. And, and the Navajo Nation also has a fundraiser. The, um, the eight, we, had, we did a show about the $8 billion that, of COVID relief money that was promised to tribes to the CARES Act. And we did that with A.C. Goyo, who is, uh, he's the head of Indians.com and he covers um, Washington, D.C. And, uh, and that was, um, it was, you know, they've only received, I think, 4.3 billion um, the rest are 4.8 billion actually, and 3.2 billion is still being held um, held up because of different issues with Alaskan Native tribes, which were turned into corporations in the. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, which in the is 19- which I would love to pick back up on and yeah. understand more of that. We do need to take a quick break here soon. Um, we do have a couple announcements first, though. And we we actually have some new music. We got uh, uh, an award-winning musician, Alan Peterson's song. Deal with the devil. Look at what we've done. Thank you, Alan, for sharing your music with us. You've got to find this song and more on his website at alanpetersonmusic.com. That's Peterson with an O. And I'm really looking forward to that song. But I do want to let people know who are listening that during the commercial break, we are opening the phone lines. So you can call in and ask your questions. That toll-free number is 866 866- Four seven two five seven eight eight. Again, it's 866-472-5788. And we'll be right back to talk more with Jacqueline Keeler and hear Alan's song after this. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Are you a woman who's tired of staying silent and people-pleasing at the expense of your own health, wealth, and happiness? Discover the roadmap to self-confidence and freedom in Laurieann Rising's international award-winning book, You, Rising, Reclaim Your Life, Live Your Purpose. And if you're an author whose nonfiction or memoir makes a powerful difference, you're invited to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. For books, resources, and show details, visit laurieannrising.com. In our changing world, how can you protect the self-esteem, confidence, and dreams of the children you love in just five minutes a day, even from a distance? To learn more about Uncle Mark's best indie book award-winning kids book, his music, and resources to support families, visit truesunbeam.com. And if you're an author or musician with a similar mission, learn how to be a guest on the Rise and Shine radio show. Visit Uncle Mark at truesunbeam.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We made a deal with the devil and threw away the sea. For a little bit of comfort on earth is all we need. Comes and they steal away the sun. Will we finally realize exactly what we've done? Let them eat cars 
Thank you very much for joining us. That was Deal with the Devil. Look what we've done by award-winning musician, songwriter, and former attorney, Alan Peterson. He's a uses the transformative power of music. I, he's, he's, a, he's in my vibe. He's about making a difference with music and, and really using that to make, make a positive statement in the world. And Alan's playful, positive, and sometimes rebellious approach provides a soundtrack to the soul, facilitating an experience that empowers audiences to create deeper, more meaningful, and joyous lives. The courage it takes and meaning and joy is something Alan knows intimately. And be sure to check out the rest of his music at alanpetersonmusic.com. That's Peterson with an O. Yeah. And we are back talking today with Jacqueline Keeler about what's really going on for Native people across the land. And I want to take a quick moment to remind listeners that our phone lines are now open. So if you have a question, you are welcome to give us a call. It's 866-472-5788. Again, 866-472-5788. And Jacqueline, I know before the break, uh, we were talking a bit, uh, well, about all kinds of different things. Um, a lot and, to catch up on. Yeah, definitely <laughs> a lot to catch up on. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to continue that and finish your thought. I had had to interrupt you there for the commercial break. So Yeah, well, one of the stories, the COVID-19 stories that we covered had to do with the allocation of uh, $8 billion in CARES Act funding, uh, that uh, COVID relief funding that Congress had passed, and it was delayed. Um, most of the, um, you know, there was well over 150 or 150, almost 150 billion that had went to states and local municipalities and had been dispersed fairly quickly. Um, but for tribes, they really had to wait uh, a very long time, and they've only received about 60% of it. And uh, the remaining 40% is being uh, is still tied up in litigation because uh, the um, Trump's um, head of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, uh, Tara Sweeney, she um, is an Alaskan Native. She's a former executive for an Alaskan Native corporation that advocated for opening up ANWR uh, for um, exploration. What happened um, many decades ago was um, that uh, the Alaskan Native tribes were actually turned into corporations by um, by the um, U.S. government, 
and they lost their status as sovereigns and became corporations. And in my book, Standoff, I actually take a really long look at the history of corporations in the development of colonialism and of America. Uh, hmm. And so, I mean, many, some of our states actually started as early corporations, those joint stock companies. Uh, Virginia was, of mm -hmm. course, um, the Virginia Company of uh, Adventures in London. These yep. were early corporations that um, basically um, funded uh, um, very risky ventures like exploration and colonization. And so, um, so like Jamestown was was a corporate was a company town that was founded to uh, to do this, and it was and they were expected to turn a profit. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, sometimes they were even chained to their beds. Um, if they didn't work hard enough for the London um, wow. investors. So there's a real, uh, so when people say, well, what is America about? Yeah. It goes back to this corporate um, sort of um, structure. And, and I think you see this playing out so much in our society today and um, the uh, the profit motive. And, and so, you know, in my book, and I give this lecture about how the US is still a colony in function, if not in overt stated form. Um, but uh, the issue is that, um, you know, we have a colonial DNA that operates, and it's, of course, based largely in the dispossession of land of Native people uh, and also uh, the um, uh, white supremacy and, and, the, uh, uh, and slavery and all these things that are driven by a profit motive. And, and so it's still very much, I mean, we see what's going on in our streets today. Um, you know, the fight against white supremacy has not ended. And... Um, and it's still, you know, felt by um, young people coming up today, and um, and so we, so in our pollination podcast, we've been taking a very careful look at that, uh, you know, what that means. Uh, I I shared recently uh, that my grandfather was the victim of um, he was he was killed in police custody in South Dakota. South Dakota is often called the Mississippi of the North, and uh, and he was a, a Dakota man. He's uh, two. Uh, three quarters Yankton Sioux, Dakota, Yankton Dakota, and he um, and he ended up being um, basically beaten to death while in police custody in Yankton, South Dakota, which is the neighboring white city that has the name of our tribe. And so, uh, but it's um, and I we didn't know this. My family didn't know this. My my siblings and my cousins did not know this because um, my dad and his 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 um, family never discussed it. Um, this happened in the 1950s, and he um, and we were, you know, we were told that our grandfather had drowned in the Missouri River, and um, and my father was just like 13 or 14, and he was sent to identify his father's body, and the only way he could his body was so unidentifiable um, that the only way he, he could identify him was by a mole on his ankle. And, um, and so when they used to go fishing together, um, you know, he would roll up his pants and he saw the mole there. And that's how he identified his father's body. And, um, and we found this out because my cousin was on Ancestry.com around 2015. And she found, she just searched for my grandmother's name, our grandmother's name. And she found this article that was on Ancestry.com. I'm talking about how my grandmother went to go get a, an autopsy. She, she requested an autopsy. Mm. Um, because and so um, and it was interesting because so I shared that when uh, the Floyd family, George Floyd's family, uh, requested an, an independent autopsy, and as you know, the report that came out uh, I think yesterday, uh, the independent autopsy that they funded themselves um, came to a very different conclusion than the than the coroner did in Hennepin County, and, and I should note that you know you see a lot of the um, sort of heavily militarized um, sort of response. And, um, and it's very similar to what happened at Standing Rock, you know, with the use of these le less than lethal force, which is done at very close quarters. Um, you know, many right. of the rubber, bullet, rubber bullets that were shot and concussion bombs um, that were, were used at Standing Rock and pepper spray um, and mace, they were all used at much closer quarters than they are supposed to be used. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and the same and thing is happening are. there. Yeah. Well, I just really want to celebrate this book coming out because it's is exactly what you're saying. It's so much about the story that gets told about what happens that that winds up taking care of our, our whole picture of what happens after our, our view of history is influenced by uh, 
what we read and what, what gets written at the time. So I'm looking forward to your book. Thank you. Yeah, it's I'm rewriting a bit of the last couple chapters now with this context in mind of what's happening now. And and the standoff, of course, refers to the standoff between these two poles of American, you know, experience, right? Mm. Uh, the Bundys, of course, represent one, uh, you know, the Hammonds, who they advocated for when they took over the Malheur Wildlife Refuge, the ranching family here in Oregon, they got off and, and they were actually flown home in the private plane of a billionaire. So you, they, they're very arrogant because, and you know, Ammon Bundy is right now, um, you know, he lives near Boise, Idaho, uh, just an hour east of, of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. And he's been trying to get people to come with guns to stop the governor from enforcing the um, stay-at-home orders during this pandemic. So they're still very active. And then, um, but, you know, the issue that the book brings up is that we really need the proper um, sort of paradigm to understand our experience because as long as we are dealing with propaganda mm -hmm. you know and, and i would say that our understanding of the founding fathers and the history of the u.s revolution which i go into a great deal of detail is is propaganda well we and our understanding of what a solve, right like, and our understanding of what corporations are and the role well, yeah i mean mm -hmm. well and you know the founding fathers were some of the richest men in the world at the time mm. it was like a revolution by bezos and gates Mm -hmm. You know, this was not a revolution of the common people. And later, when the common people were being overtaxed in the Whiskey Rebellion, they put that down with, with you know, uh, George Washington put that down with guns, you mm. know. And so it's, uh, this was, this was, uh, you know, all, and many of these men were wealthy through the slave trade. And I go into mm. a great deal of detail of the slave trade, the triangle, you know, even the ones up north, uh, you know, uh, these northern cities, you know, even as far north as, uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, they were part of that triangle, that slave trade triangle. They weren't, wow. you know, innocent. And so, um, so a lot of the, the wealth that, that these wealthy, and these were some of the wealthiest people in the world at the time. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Well, and, this and, is... and I noticed that when I was doing the research, you know, they kept saying one of the wealthiest people, you know, it's, uh, this was not a revolution of the ordinary, this was, you know, um, mm -hmm. so it's, um, so yeah, they, uh, they basically figured out how they could get a corner on this very lucrative uh, colony and get it get it take it away from the oversight of the British Empire, and and this was and they were successful in doing that, and uh, and unlike Haiti, they were given you know they were able to 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 really profit off of that. I mean Haiti when um, black. Um, uh, you know, uh, people being held in bondage did that in Haiti. They were slapped with, you know, having to pay back all this money to France, you know, everything which left them impoverished to this day. You know, they were never regarded as in the same way that the, found, the white founding fathers were given the leeway to, right. to enjoy well, the their victory. 70 year bonds that kept getting put on things. Probably way too deep a, a yeah, pool to yeah. start it's, going You can look right it now. up Haiti and France and all of that. The, yeah, well, the money that you. France took from Haiti. And uh, yeah. Suffice to say, thank you for putting all that together. I'm really looking forward to the, the concise one book explanation of a lot of this uh, misclarity that we've had throughout history. Mm -hmm of our history, I should say. And is that just for clarification, is that all in the first book or the one coming out this next February? So the, the one coming out in February is the one I'm talking about, Standoff. Yes, that's so what I understood. Right. Um, yeah, the previous book um, was really about Bears Ears. So that was okay. 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 All right. Great. And this next one is called Standoff? Standoff. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll be looking for that. Oh. Very cool. And well, I know one of the things that I've, I'm seeing coming up as well, it's a little bit of a, a shift in topic, but with the tribes closing borders and having, you know, um, to protect themselves, it is apparently affecting the census count as well and running the risk of lower numbers than is accurate. And my understanding is that could have a ripple effect for a number of years. Can you elaborate a little on that? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I, it's funny, right before this whole um, COVID-19 pandemic, I was actually, I, uh, Sierra Magazine sent me to the Navajo Nation. I was there for two weeks in January, in, in late January. And, uh, and so I traveled across the Navajo Nation and I interviewed everyone. I mean, I interviewed President Nez to 
all, all sorts of people all over the Navajo Nation in, in all three states. Uh, the Navajo Nation extends across most of North, um, Northeast, North Central Arizona, um, uh, New Mexico and Utah. And um, so they, uh, but, um, but yeah, I, and I talked to a lot of folks about the census issue. The article was primarily about the voting rights issue. And so, but they're very tied together. Uh, you know, and, and yeah, uh, they were really hoping to make a lot more progress with getting voting, voter registration in the field, uh, getting addresses assigned to people. Many of these rural areas don't have addresses. Um, I, it's a, it's a 3,500 word article in Sierra Magazine. It's out right now. So you can read it all there. It's all quite extensive, but, um, but with the census, you know, I, um, actually a, a good friend of mine from college, Norbert Nez is, um, he's the Navajo Nation kind of person, sort of point person on the census there. And, um, but the issue is quite dire. I mean, when we don't get fully counted, that means we lose funding in, um, for all kinds of federal funding. And I think there was some crazy number, like for, for every 40 people counted, you get like an extra million dollars over the decade or something, like it's a, quite a bit of money. So when you don't count people, they lose. And these are some of the poorest communities in the United States. So that loss is particularly felt and, and, you know, I think that uh, one of the things that's been really addressed, and we're going to do another story about this, uh, is um, is the issue of infrastructure on the on the Navajo Nation. Uh, of course, with the um, with the you know, we don't have uh, a lot of running water, and a lot of that is purposeful. Um, it's like with I compare it to Puerto Rico, where they're not rebuilding Puerto Rico because they want to drive the brown population out of the island and turn it into Hawaii. You know, once it becomes mostly white. Then they'll make it a state. Do you know what I mean? And and so and, and in fact, you know, the Northwest uh, um, Ordinance, the ter the annexation after the Revolutionary War, um, stipulated that the states had to have a majority white population, right, before they could be territories before they became states. Yeah. So there is this notion that it's really kind of baked in quite deep that this is going to be a white country with the rest of us sort of on the per periphery, right? And yeah. so it's um. But the lack of um, infrastructure on the on on reservations is, is is a purposeful policy to drive us from our homelands and to um, and to basically destabilize us as political entities as sovereign nations uh, and to break up our culture. So the building, I, I really would like to see uh, you know the build building of infrastructure come out of this. There's been a lot of poverty porn reporting over the years. You know, a white person parachutes in. Oh my God! There's poverty every 20, 10 years, and then writes the exact same article and then leaves, and then nothing happens, nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we really, you know, so we did. You know, I, I, I have friends who work at CNN and places like that, and I talk to them. I say, don't do poverty porn. You know, actually sit down and talk about what needs to happen. And there are mm -hmm. so we need, we actually need funding, infrastructure funding, to come out of Congress, and that would be billions of dollars. Can we get billions of dollars out of the con out of the U.S. Congress right now, you know, to fund a water infrastructure project to bring water and electricity and and you know they don't even have Wi-Fi or cell service, you know people basically have to drive to the school and sit in the parking lot and to use the Wi-Fi to do their schoolwork. That's the normal thing. Now with everyone having to do their schoolwork from home, it's even worse. So the lack of infrastructure, and we're talking about the Navajo Nation, which is the size of the Republic of Ireland. You know, uh, it's um, you know we need we need more than poverty porn. We need actual coverage that gets to the issues, that sees that empowers Native people, that recognizes their strengths. Right. I mean, the Navajo Nation has, as a community, as a people, has have done an incredible job to coming together to protect themselves and protect their elders. Right. Mm -hmm. With very little resources, and um, and so it's um, and to me that's I think that what this pandemic has shown is uh, sort of who we are as people, who we really are, who is America, you know, who are you know Trump's followers, who are the Diné people. Who are the Dakota people, you know, and, and, you know, we see the Dakota and Ojibwe people, Anishinaabe people in Minnesota, you know, fighting this issue there with racism. And, uh, and so it's, um, it's really, I think reporting on this has been pretty amazing. We're still, uh, you know, we, we've been transcribing all our interviews 
I mean, I, I can't even, I have to sit down and see how many people we actually interviewed and how many different topics, uh, you know, over 30 episodes, but it's been quite extensive. And, and this issue is one that I'm sure that we'll be studying for years to come um, and, and, um, and, and what it meant. And I think that when we're studying it and when we come to the, and the table eventually to redraw the society, and I think that will happen, it has to happen. And I, I want to. to see native people yeah. at that table. And, mm, and, and of course, uh, other people of color as well. And, um, and to really redraw a society that is functional for everyone. Uh, you know, this is obviously a very dysfunctional situation where some are privileged above others. And, and I think that because the majority of white people voted for Trump in 2016 at every demographic level, right? I think white mm. ed college educated women were the lowest percentage to vote for Trump, but they still voted for him in the majority you know, 53%. Wow. And when, and in the 80s with white men, right? So mm -hmm. the white, the, the whiteness, the, the self-perception of whiteness is a real virus in this country. And that's why people are marching in the streets because it's a virus that has been killing native people, black people, brown people uh, for, for, and is still killing them, right? Nice. For 400 years. Time for and, that transition. Um, was, yeah, so I go in the book, the history of the creation of this sort of idea, this um, caste system in Virginia. It mm. was largely done to break up solidarity between uh, um, mm. people stolen from Africa and, and Northern European indentured servants. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it goes back to you know, protecting the rights of the planter elite class uh, that own people, that own mm. things in the colony. Wow. What a yeah. resource. Thank you for putting that stuff together. This is going to be a real good place for some real history and yeah. find out who we really are. That's that's. Well, I think it sounds to me 2020 is becoming the year we're seeing ourselves <clears throat> clearly. Absolutely. You know, 2020 site. Yeah. And I mean, it really is true. Our white ancestors brought racism with us and it has been handed down to each of us every generation, whether we're aware of it or not. Yep. So being a white woman, I guess my call is to, you know, for for everyone listening, to do our own work, to dismantle it from the inside out and allow indigenous and black and other minority voices to lead us forward. That's where the wisdom is. We have messed it up. We need to relearn and it's their turn to lead us and, and take Take us forward. <laughs> yeah, I was I was listening to uh, op that OPB radio show, Think Out Loud, the other day, and and they were talking to a young woman who is um, a black leader here in Portland, and she was saying that, you know, uh, that Mayor Wheeler needs to step aside because we can't wait for him to get spun up and to understand the situation of black people in this country. Right? It's just there's no time mm. for it. We can't, mm. you know, handhold. Oops, we can't continue to handhold. Uh, white uh, men and women through this process to the point where they can actually do something. Maybe they just, it's too much work. You know, we need There's action now. We need people who understand the issue now. So yeah, yeah. I think that we need um, black and brown leadership in this country mm -hmm. because uh, not leadership that's beholden to, um, you know, white, um, you know, uh, um, you know, systems of oppression, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, there are even calls now to, um, you know, dismantle the police, which may sound extreme. Uh, but uh, when you consider how much money these protests cost oh, our country, they have uh, to be looking at that by now. Communities, it's just like, well, it, it's, yeah. it's actually not working. You know, we, we need to actually think... reassess what this is. I know some people say historically, the police um, grew out of slave catchers, right? And, yeah. um, and, and I'm not, I probably would need to investigate that some more, but the, there's a documentary on Netflix called 13th that has done oh, that documentation. Yeah. Extensively. So it's, it sort of evolved from that. And I don't know, I do wonder sometimes like, so, you know, in my lecture I give, and it's in the book too, about, you know, how the U S is still a colony. Um, the, uh, um, I, I talk about the fact that, you know, having a black president doesn't necessarily solve anything. <laughs> It, yeah. You know, because, Apparently. you know, when you, um, well, yeah, I mean, you have to realize Standing Rock happened under the Obama administration. Right. I mean, Native people right. were attacked with dogs. All these yeah. things happened. And, um, but the issue is that it's, it's a structure. It's a machine, yep. right? Yeah. And, and, uh, starting... and you have to ask yourself, it's like driving a car or a vehicle, 
right? You, you driving, are you driving a sports car or are you driving a combine harvester, right? Mm -hmm. The machine will do what it does, right? Exactly. If you're driving Maybe. a combine harvester, it's going to harvest that wheat. And if There's all really you've nothing ever known. you can do, whether what, who the driver is. Yeah. So the issue is like, we need to actually really change it and we have to come to an agreement and, and, um, and, and really right now, white people are the problem. They're electing wow. people like Pre uh, President Trump, right? They're yeah. programmed to do this. I would right? say white they're, behaviors. There's, there's, there's a, there, there's a lot of, there's us. a lot of, uh, yeah, there, there's, it's more than behavior when it's, it's more than behavior when it's like 87% of white men. Yeah. Do you know I mean, right? it's, it's actually quite more than that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a structural issue. And, you know, I compare white supremacy and white privilege to living in a house, right? You live in a house right. that was built for you. You don't know right. it's not the world. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely and so it, it so really we, we are getting new things. I, yeah, I very much love so. to continue this conversation. I, I hate we're... to interrupt, but <laughs> we are coming to the end of the show. And I want to yes. make sure people can find you and follow up with you and, yes, and continue. So remind us again, it's Pollen Nation Magazine. Is that correct? Yes. Wonderful. And, and it's on Facebook and and um, dot com as well, website yes. and Facebook. Okay. And, and YouTube. Well, Jacqueline, okay. thank you so um, much for, for, for being me. with us and for the, all the work you're doing. Yes. This is Thanks. critical. So coming up next week is a show all about the power of music. Hey, all right. Adults and kids. <laughs> and we're going to be talking with sound healer, Wendelin Bartley. And mindful music teacher Mikhail Golan. Mikhail. Yes. Mikhail. Thank you. I think it's Mikhail. Yes. We're also going to be announcing details about our very first contest. Ooh. And it's one kids and adults can participate in. So you'll definitely Absolutely. want to tune in next week. For sure. As always, please remember to share the show with your friends and family, especially this one. Especially yes. this one. And if you love hearing us on the air, please consider supporting us and becoming a member of our fan club as well. You can learn more at riseandshineasone.com. Thank you again, Jacqueline, and for all the work you're doing. And we're looking forward to that book. Definitely. And so until, until next week, keep that in mind. And keep in mind that wherever you go, there's always time for remembering to rise, rise and shine. shine. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Rise and Shine. Please join Lorianne Rising and Uncle Mark Olmstead for another great show next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, keep rising and shining. It's now, another joy is now.